Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here today on a warm day in a very deserted Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and today I'm joined by Dave Newton. Now Dave is the principal of Regents Theological College, a mixed gender theological college now based in Malvern, Worcestershire. Uh, Dave, welcome to the programme. Great to have you with us today. Yeah, it's fantastic to be a part of this. It's fantastic for us to have you as well. Now, um, Dave, first and foremost, this podcast is about leadership and effective leadership at that. And that's really come under the microscope recently with the whole COVID-19 outbreak and the ensuing disruption. Um, Tell me, um, as a principal, how has it been for you at Regents attempting to navigate the last few weeks? Yeah, it's been an interesting time because um, the way that we are set up as a theological education provider is... We're obviously running degrees, undergraduate level, master's and uh, doctoral level, but we also have students living on site in a residential setting. Mm. So not only do we have the um, the, the challenge of continuing effective education, we're trying to manage what that looks like in safe environments with social distancing and catering and dining room and operations teams and staff. So... We took the decision probably two weeks ago to encourage as many students as possible to um, to go home, and we've continued all learning now virtually um, online. We've had to adapt exams to different ways of doing assessments and extend timescales on on their essays that need to be done. But I think we're doing reasonably well given the the challenges that presented to us at quite short notice. So. Mm. Yeah, it's um, certainly come about uh, quite quickly, all of this. And um, is there be, has there been a time in your career before when you've had to take similarly difficult decisions as this, or is it very much uncharted territory? Yeah, I think that's a really good phrase, that kind of concept of, of leading in uncharted territory. I, I, I like the phrase by um, a gentleman called Aaron Ro- uh, Alan Roxborough when he talks about leading in discontinuous change. So, so it's almost kind of unpredictable. Um, Sometimes leadership works when you can manage, imagine next month or six months is going to look like. But this certainly has um, been full of unpredictability. And um, no, I can't think of another time that's um, that's been like it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And we we, we bring up that word leader um, again there. Um, What does that word actually uh, mean to you? And what qualities do you think a good leader ought to have? Yeah, I think when we talk leadership, for me, um, leading is about moving either individuals or an organization from from here to there. You know, so, so you step into leadership and at, at a point in time, organizationally, the organization's at a point in time. And it's getting a vision for where you feel organizationally you need to be, where stakeholders believe in, in our context. You know, there might be a higher calling as well to that. And and to, to move an organization to that place. Now, in order to do that, I think one of the key aspects of, of leadership is influence, really. And um, I think it was John Maxwell that said that, that leadership is not about titles or positions or flow charts, but it's about influencing one person at a time. And, and for me, that probably sums up what leadership's all about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we talk about that word, um, influences there. Um, could you perhaps tell me, Dave, about some of the um, influences that have um, impacted your career as well? Do you mean people who've spoken into my life leadership-wise and that, and that why, that, that in, in those terms? I think it's an interesting question because it could be people, but it also could be experiences as well because I think they can be just as influential. Yeah, I, I think when I was um, young, I was given opportunities to lead early and it, they, were, they were genuinely, I, I was trusted with real opportunities. 
and so I think back, you know, obviously we're working in a church context that I was trusted at kind of the age of 12, 13 to, to speak in the church for the first time, you know, and, and that whole gift of communication starts to get honed as you get feedback at an early age. And I, I can think of people who, um, you know, if, if I'm looking back, they probably weren't that good at the time in terms of my performance, but they, they encouraged and spurred me on to have another go the next, the next time. So, um, so, so I, I think, yes, experiences that were presented to me at, at an early age that, that were real experiences gave, gave me an opportunity to step up to the mark. And um, since that, obviously, studying leadership and um, and developing leadership skills in organisation um, tests, you know, so I think one interesting challenge is when you have to, to stand up to people or, or um, confront for the first time or manage conflict. You know, they're, they're difficult concepts, but, but once you step into that and realise you need to do the right thing, deal with the consequences you, you start to grow in your leadership quite quickly i think it's very interesting dave that you mentioned this idea of learning and experience particularly from a young age and that brings me quite nicely onto uh, what i would ask next actually um do you think mm-hmm. that great leaders are born with the qualities that they need to be good leaders or is it something that you can learn and develop throughout your career because it's not really possible sometimes to be a good leader without first trying things making mistakes and getting things wrong is it yeah, I think that's a really fascinating question. If someone is in the education business, you'd expect me to say that people can obviously learn. You know, <laughs> that would be um, mm-hmm. foolish of me to say that they can't. But 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 there must be something instinctive that people spot or notice. And and um, I, I talked before about this whole notion of, of leadership and influence. And I think one of the key roles of a leader is to spot leadership potential in people and develop them, you know, because in that sense, you you produce or replicate leaders. And, and so a, a key aspect for me of leadership development is, is spotting potential, raw potential, um, and, and investing in developing and training. Now, now, I think some of that happens in the classroom, but, but I think if you can put um, theory and practice hand in hand together, that makes a, a big difference. Well, one of the things that we've developed, particularly in our institution, is what we call kind of context-based learning. So rather than people doing a three-year degree all in the classroom, that they'll do the, the, the taught elements, but they'll get to apply it as they learn. And, and that really helps kind of um, consolidate the learning. For sure. And um, we talk about that need to inspire and have influence on uh, people um, as well. Um, if you were to give some advice to the next generation of emerging leaders, what sort of things would you tell them? Yeah, I, I think it's recognising early that you don't have all the answers. I think um, a lot of the gifted leaders at, at an early age, because of that leadership edge within them, often there's an, there's an arrogance or a desire to think we can do it all ourselves. And, and the key to any good leader is is find a team of people who you can trust, people who you're not threatened by, but are gifted beyond the giftings that you carry. You know, I love um, the phrase, I think it was David Ogilvy that said something about, if we hire people smaller than us, we'll end up with a company of dwarfs, but if you hire people bigger than you, you end up with a, a company of giants. So, so my advice would be to build a strong team and not be threatened by that team if people are better than you in, in certain areas, cheer it on, you know, and, and encourage that. Of course, because it's important that leaders surround themselves with people who aren't just talented, but are also people that they can learn from as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Because it's yes, never sir. just a one a man or one woman operation being leader, is it? It's very much a team effort moving towards a common goal. And sometimes I think people can maybe lose a little bit of sight of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right that the word leadership has almost kind of developed a singularity to it when it actually it's, it's a plural concept. We only lead because people are following. And so um, you can tell we are leaders by by the people that, that, that are following. So we, we get back to that influence place again. And and I think going back to where we started in terms of the um, the particular challenges we're facing right now, where people have been plunged into remote working, where you're not necessarily seeing people on a day-to-day basis, then then even more that whole notion of, uh, notion of trust and being able to motivate team remotely is, um, is being tested more than ever. It certainly is. And um, this is going to be a bit more of an abstract uh, question, uh, Dave. But if we paraphrase uh, Shakespeare for a moment, um, Mm -hmm. people are either born as leaders, become leaders or have leadership thrust upon them. Um, Which one of those would you say best applies to you? Did you always imagine that you would be a leader yourself or in a leadership position one day? That question reminds me of a conversation I had with my PE teacher when I was... um, probably 13, 14, and he says to me, I might as well make you captain of the basketball team because you're going to be the leader anyway, you know. So so I think there are some people that take leadership responsibility. Probably because of that, you get given more opportunities. So so, um, I I would imagine, yeah, it it was plunged upon me and you take it two-handedly and and step into it and make many mistakes along the way. Exactly. And it takes us right back to that idea that business leaders, um, leaders in any walk of life aren't ready made for what they're doing. It's very much a learning and development process. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're very much so. And um, but the whole notion of leading, I mean, I think what's brilliant these days is not only uh, a load of books and materials, but podcasts like this and, and others that can really encourage leaders. But probably that the area that I've learned myself most as a leader is comparing notes with other leaders. You know, the opportunity to network and share experiences with other leaders quite is quite inspiring and, and the way that I seek to personally develop. Again, um, I think it um, raises a really interesting point that that no leader is ever alone in their endeavours and uh, times such as this, uh, times of crisis, it really brings that to the fore as well. We are in this together and nobody is ever alone in uh, what they're doing. Um, yeah, I am conscious, um, Dave, of running out of time, but before we do uh, wrap things up, um, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next year will hold for yourself, for Regents Theological College and what you really hope to achieve in that time, particularly as we come out the other end of COVID-19. Yeah, I um, I think the um, the pandemic that we found ourselves in has probably forced us to think differently, and and I imagine that there will be aspects of our um, kind of natural culture that when we come out of this, there will be an elasticity that springs us back to maybe what we thought we were beforehand. But but my my hope and desire is that some of the lessons we've learned around new, new ways of education, digital technology. Um, uh, faster ways, more efficient ways of doing things. So some of the good aspects of that will really stick. Um, uh, I like the phrase that, that learning is, is caught, not just taught. And I, I do think the blend of teaching but also face-to-face encounter is, is important. But, but I hope that as we go back to whatever normality is going to be at, at the end of this, we, we take some of the, the, the great lessons that we've learned and apply them rather than just reverting back to the way it's always been.
A really interesting point and um, what I think as well in the next few months um, would be really great is um, if we have you back on the programme, Dave, to look at all of this retrospectively and see just how those hopes have uh, been borne out in reality. Um, But for now, it's been really insightful and an absolute pleasure having you um, on the programme and thank you so much for sharing your views with the listeners. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Coming up next on the programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Geoff Hurst. As well as scoring over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, Sir Geoff remains the only man to this day to score a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup after his treble in England's 40 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley 54 long years ago. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking to Sir Jeff, and that will be coming up now. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, at one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you, you're very... Fortunate, I think you, you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course uh, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at. West Ham uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? 
I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, mm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. On me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at times, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? 
Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's, that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen, so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, Mm. out. so I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that I'll show he, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. 
Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, 
And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many... Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish 
after the 66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. Showed. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.